Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the IFP School SP Student Chapter Podcast. This is your host, Rodrigo Ceballos, and in this special episode, we want to share the conversation that we had with Maciel Diaz and Jamie Elrod about diversity and inclusion in the workplace. This was a live webinar that was held on the 23rd of March as part of a series of events that we organized to celebrate Women's Month. Without nothing else to say, I hope you enjoy this insightful episode where we discuss many strategies for creating a more inclusive and equitable work environment for everyone. So, here we go! My name is Maciel. Uh, I grew up in Canada, in Montreal specifically. I went to McGill University. I studied chemical engineering. And right after school, a slumberger, which is now called SLB, was at the career fair. And they sold me the dream of being a wireline field engineer. And I had no idea what it was, but I uh, loved my field career. I was in the field for five and a half years. And then I went to a business sales and commercial role over the last five years. So almost 10 years in May of my career since I graduated, five years in the field, five years in the office. I have a little bit of both in case anybody has any questions on the differences. And uh, I'll let Jamie introduce herself and then uh, we can talk about the podcast after. No, thank you, Maciel. And thank y'all, uh, just to mirror what Maciel said, we're very excited to be speaking with y'all. We really like to educate and inspire those that are coming into the industry or even thinking about coming into the industry. Um, it means a lot to us to help with the next generation. And so we're just really happy to share and um, answer any questions today that anyone might have. Um, and for me, my story is a little bit different, which is what has brought the uniqueness really to flipping the barrel and also to what we, um, what challenges Marcel and I have both encountered throughout our careers. Uh, I born and raised in Texas, so I've always been uh, in North America, always been around Houston. Uh, I never really traveled out much um, besides for vacations, which is very different than Maciel, who moved all around. Uh, I studied marketing and business communication at Sam Houston State University, uh, where I got a full ride volleyball scholarship, so I played sports in school. I grew up very big into sports, as many of you might know or might not know in Texas, like that's a big thing. Um, I sometimes think of like sports are before education in some spart- some parts of, of, uh, of Texas. Uh, but so uh, I went to Sam Houston State. I had no um, understanding of engineering, engineering design or, or anything like that. I was just really good in talking with people and building relationships. So I always knew I wanted to be in sales. Um, and then I got the opportunity. Uh, I actually posted my resume on RigZone. Um, and Rig- RigZone back then was just starting. It wasn't near as big as it is today. And uh, a Slumberger manager had found my resume there and contacted me. And that was the start of my career in oil and gas. So I started in the field with Slumberger, um, now SLB, uh, in drill bits. Uh, and it was one of those introductions where you start and uh, without even knowing it, the first three months is a training course. And if you fail one test, then you're out. Uh, and so I learned engineering very quickly. Um, Prior to that, I wasn't very good in math and I all of a sudden became, you know, good enough. Uh, and that really, um, my career really grew after that. Slumberger gave me a lot of opportunity to start from the field. I was in the field in South Texas for about six months and then I went straight into technical sales. And I've been in sales ever since, um, working in different business lines and working for smaller and mid-sized companies. Um, so I started at Slumberger and then went uh, to a mid-size or a smaller company and then a mid-size and then now I'm back at a large company. Uh, I work for uh, Baker Hughes today and as a global account director for um, uh, Air Products, which is an industrial gas company. But that is the 
that is what's the beauty of the energy space is the opportunities are broad. So, um, and you will see that in both Mossiel and I's uh, backgrounds and career journeys. This is like pretty interesting and inspiring your, your whole journeys. I think this is leads, leads us to the next questions. Uh, what inspired you guys to start the Flipping the Barrel podcast and what do you hope to achieve with it? Yes, so how we started it was very spontaneous. Um, I, how Jamie and I met, let's start there. So I had just moved to Houston. Um, I was new and of course this is a very male dominated industry so I didn't know many other females, especially my age that we could connect with, right? It's more difficult to find someone like you. And um, I got a message from Jamie's husband, Jason, on Instagram in a DM. Because I post a lot of things about oil field and so he mess I posted a picture of a salad actually from a small restaurant in Houston and he commented on the salad and knew exactly what the restaurant was, which I thought was weird. And <laughs> he just said, you need to meet my wife, you will get along, um, you have a lot of things in common. And of course, I thought this was weird message as well from a, a guy on Instagram. And but, you know, I was like, sure, I would like to meet your wife. I um, didn't have a lot of friends in Houston. And so I was really open to any opportunity to meet anybody. And so I took you know, his advice. And um, Jamie always likes to say her side of the story because she found it weird as well that her husband was sending me an, a message on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, this is where we, we all, everybody always gets a kick out of it. But so um, my husband then contacts me and tells me that I need to meet Maciel. And of course I didn't follow her. I didn't have her Instagram. And, you know, we're all here in the day and age of Instagram. So everybody knows, you know, what all goes on on Instagram. And so I was just like, um, okay, this is very odd, but I went to her Instagram. I saw that it was all oil field related stuff. And I was like, oh, well, this is kind of cool. Okay, I'll take you up on it. And if you knew my husband, you would know that he's like the most like innocent person in everything that he does. And although for a lot of people, it comes off really weird. He truly just wanted us to meet. And um, he was right. So we could call him a matchmaker. Um, after that, uh, Marcel and I had went out and we decided to meet at Bella Green, which is the place where she was eating at and the place where him and I used to go all the time. Um, and this was about, this will be four years ago this September that her and I had met. And uh, when we met, we literally hit it off immediately. Um, I think we spent about three hours together uh, and we just were like, wow, I'm just so, it was such an incredible experience to meet each other. And it was one thing that really showed us like the benefit in, of social media, the positive side of what social media could bring together. Because at the end of the day, Marcel and I had never crossed paths, even though we were in the same industry. I don't know if we would have ever met otherwise. And we, we not only met, but we became best friends. And then we developed what everybody knows today is flipping the barrel, but it didn't start out that way. We, um, we only knew each other for, I would say about a month time. And I had invited her over to my house um, since she has really no family in Houston. It was like the perfect opportunity to invite her over for, I think it's either 4th of July or one of those holidays. And um, she came over and our husbands met. And while we were all talking, they were like, man, y'all should do something together. And, you know, we ran through different ideas of like, let's start a wireline company. And then we we're like, well, that's really capital intensive. So probably not the best idea. And um, then because we both love to talk and meet people, they were like, well, why don't you do a podcast? And we had no idea how to start a podcast or what to do. We just knew that we both had a love for the industry. 
We both loved the careers that it gave us as women in the energy space and the opportunity that we were provided. And the men that supported us along the way, we felt like all those things were very important. And we felt that the industry alone doesn't have a very good positive image. And we, as working inside the energy space, have never felt that negativity. We love what we do and we love what energy provides to the world. And we wanted to showcase that and share it and shine a light on the industry through um, interviewing those who had been in the space and had grown their career there. Um, and so that was really the birth of Flipping the Barrel was that day around the table. And then we went and bought equipment and then we started asking people to please come on. Um, and we started with just our friends, our mentors, and those who we know would accept to share their story and not be afraid to speak on you know, a platform that's global. Uh, and that was really the beginning stages of Flipping the Barrel. You mentioned earlier that this is a male-dominated industry. So how can we encourage and motivate more women and young people to pursue careers in the energy sector? Uh, that's a great question. I It's all about what each of us individually can do to contribute. And I think it goes a long way with just being, you, you, you represent a specific uh, look, gender, idea, thoughts, university, uh, literally like anything that somebody that you have no idea will look at you and say, ah, I see myself in that person. And because they are in the energy industry or because they have a great career, I also want to be part of it. So really it's, it's in everybody's duty to make sure you talk about the in industry, talk about your career, share as much as you can with the younger generation. Um, to inspire them because really sometimes we think we're not inspiring anybody but just you being in a role or you being in a specific degree you're going to inspire someone way younger that's looking up to you and so how we can really make a movement to have more women a in the industry and two in stem i think really starts at a very young age so it's what you teach your children um there's still a lot of separation between what girls can do or guys can do from the toys from the books from the movies so i really think it's educating at a very young level and if you can go and speak at a high school or if you can go and speak at a elementary and share your career or you in stem that goes a very long way that's how we're really going to change and then i think you know we've done a good job over the last years there's a good majority of you know 30 to 50 percent of women now graduating from STEM roles in, in universities. And so we've done a good job at showcasing that they can have a good career. Now what we need to do is shine a positive light towards the energy industry because it does have a very negative image. Uh, if you didn't grow up with you know family members in the oil and gas industry, it's very rare that you want to come into this industry because it looks just like dark and bad and we're polluting the world and we are the bad people. That's how the younger generation sees us, unfortunately. When in reality, you know, we power the world and we need oil and gas and anything that you wear, your glasses, the plastic, the just anything that you use on the day to day, how you got to school today, how you got to the office, you're taking a car, you're using fuel. And so I think sometimes it's hard, easy to forget how important the industry is. So it really it's up to all of us. And that's what we want to do with Flipping the Barrel is showcase the importance of the industry. But also we know that there are going there's going to be a need of a change to help our planet and to have a more balanced planet and to take care of the world. We all agree with that. But I think being in the energy industry or you know, only gas core industry, this is where all the change is going to happen for carbon capture, for new energies. This is where all of the innovation is going to come out of. And so I, we always like to tell the students or younger generations that 
if you want to solve the world problems of, you know, um, carbon capture and environmental issues, sustainability, come to the energy industry because this is where the innovation will happen. And so I think it's really just um, showcasing what you can do in the industry. And that's how we're going to get more women uh, to come as well. And speaking of the energy industry, how do you see it evolving in the future? And what so, opportunities will be available for women and minorities? This is the space to be in. We said it in the beginning and we really, really mean it. We really want people to understand that the opportunity here is, is massive. So it's everywhere between your traditional oil and gas. It's never going to go away. We cannot replace the plastic and what we do today with anything else. Um, and yeah, there might be some solutions that are coming not near term, but maybe in the future. But we can, there's not today a reliable source of energy like, like what oil or gas, natural gas produces. And we've seen that with the big movement in LNG that's been happening to support that and just the big movement in natural gas in general. So it's just, it's going to be a mix. And with that said, the opportunities are your traditional oil and gas, we will always need that. But because of that, you get to learn that space and grow into hydrogen, CCUS, carbon capture, the what's going on with the solar. There's so many different opportunities. And if you notice your big companies like your IOCs and then also your Baker Hughes, your SLBs, your the, the majority of those companies that run oil field service are now have a, an energy side of the business. And this energy transition side of the business really supports all those functions. And so not only do you have an opportunity to learn traditional oil and gas, but you have an opportunity to grow and become an expert in spaces where nobody's really an expert just yet because it just it's just now on the cusp of being something big. I'll give you an example. The last 10 years, I've been in traditional oil and gas. I did drilling completions. I know everything from the wellhead down. And then I got an opportunity to work uh, for Air Products, which is an industrial gas company, uh, which I'm working now on hydrogen for Baker Hughes, which is an oil and gas service company. That is a, I mean, what other space? I can't think of any other space or any other industry where you can have that vast, vast of knowledge and opportunity and change. So what you'll find when you start a career is that within two to three years, you start to get kind of monotonous in your role maybe, and you wanna change. Well, in the energy space, you get that opportunity. And I had seen, compared to my counterparts in, in the university that didn't go into energy, I'd seen a huge progression with my career on different steps and different opportunities, whereas they stay in one role for a very, very long time because there's just not that much. You have to change complete companies or you have to change complete industries to learn something new. We're in oil and gas, we're always evolving. And like Maciel had mentioned, we, we understand that we need to cleaner, we need to do things cleaner and better, and, and we're all on board on that. And so we're all progressing and learning that as we go. And this is the space where you can come in and you can have that impact and we can use your knowledge and your new insight because you're new to the energy space. Um, and the companies are really thriving off that and they're really utilizing communication from the younger ones coming in on really how can we, how can we change and what's important. So I think that that brings so much opportunity, especially for minorities, as there's a huge push to just make sure that we're inclusive. And the energy space is really the one that's pushing that the most. Um, and we are very diverse. I mean, we, we are global. We are people use power all over the world. And so we need everybody to come and, and, and work with us in this space so we can also understand, you know, their your background, what you bring and what um, what opportunities we can provide you. And what advice do you have for organizations 
looking to create more inclusive and equitable workplaces for women and minorities in the sector. So I think the the most important thing is listening to the employees who are bringing up issues, who are bringing up maybe what they need in their environment in order to thrive. Because everybody's needs are going to be different. And if you want to be inclusive and and have equitable business, you really need to make sure that everyone's shoe fits properly, not just give everyone shoes. And so I think it's it's a work in progress. It's not overnight that companies are going to be fixing all of these problems. But I think it starts with just listening to the employees and ERGs, which are employee resource groups are super important because it really gives everybody an opportunity to have like a circle of people who think like them, who want change like them all together. And so I think just starting with that is super important for companies to give out those resources um, that other people might need. Um, I think that would be number one. And I think uh, to bring more women into the industry, a lot of companies are doing this, uh, which is, it's like a positive and a negative with quotas, um, you know, but it's how you can affect change and make sure it's affected. Now, there's always the, the talk of are quotas important or not? Um, I always go back to, you know, how I was hired. Maybe I was a quota, who knows? Maybe they said, hey, out of this university, you need 20 girls. And I was one of them. And maybe the maybe they wouldn't have hired me if there wasn't a quota, I don't know. But sometimes in order to break the habit, because people will hire people who look like them. Think about it. I came in field engineer. You think the recruiter who was there got my resume, they're like, this girl's gonna survive the field. There's no way. This little girl, she's gonna get squashed. She's not gonna survive. So there's a lot of the biases that will come in, unconscious biases. And so maybe because of what's being pushed with the industry, they're like, just hire her and then it's up to you to deliver. And so I think it's important for companies to do do that and uh, try to bring more diversity and women into the industry. And then really it's up to you to make sure that even though maybe you could have been a diversity hire for whatever reason, you deliver and you show that you deserve to, to be there. And then the rest will take care of itself. Then as you progress in your career, it's a lot more different. But in order to bring more of that diversity, it needs to start at the university levels and really push companies that they need to hire different than how they used to hire in the past. And I'd like to add that diversity is not always just like men, women. It's also like diversity from what university are you hiring from? Where are you going to recruit? Is it always the same company? Is it always the same universities? Or are you always picking the same mindset? So, and for instance, when Marcel was explaining about her being hired, I mean, I experienced the same thing. When the Slumberger came to me, I had no engineering background. Um, I came from marketing. Uh, I didn't know anything about drill bits. The only thing I did that checked the box was I drove a truck. So they knew I knew how to drive a truck because I, I rode horses growing up. So they were like, okay, she can drive a truck. Um, she played sports, so she must have some sort of team, you know, check the box there. Sure, we'll give you a shot. But what they found out was, since I did so well in the field, they then, the thing that happens with companies, to Maciel's point, unconscious bias and biases, is they immediately think then, okay, we tried this, it worked. We had a girl, she played sports, so then therefore maybe if we hire more girls who play sports, they'll, they'll fit. So it, it's a it's a take and give, but the opportunities that quotas do provide is that right there was they put it took a chance, and then they realized okay maybe these are the kind of personality sets that I need in order to in order to know that they they can make it in the field or like they will enjoy it. It's not just making it; it's also the person that they employ in that position. They enjoy it. We want them. We want you to come in and, and feel like you're a part of it, 
not come in and meet a quota and then you know it's not a, it doesn't work out because you didn't like it to begin with so I, I think those things are very important to set those expectations in the beginning yeah you're right so um, based on your experience what uh, challenges does women face in the energy industry and if you can give us example on your challenges and how did you overcome them so i would say it It varies depending on geographies, I will say that, because I've heard a lot of different stories from just different geographies. You know, both Jamie and I had a career in North America, so we want to preface that. Um, I think it is rougher in other parts of the world where they aren't as educated yet or as um, used to having women on location or, you know, in the offices. And so for North America, I would say 10 years ago when I started, um, you would go into the rig floor and there was, you know, naked pictures of women in calendars and the keychains were, you know, women on poles. And so the industry when I arrived was very, you know, like it was very male and very like women were sexualized, let's say. And so when I arrived, I never said anything because I felt like I'm just in their world. And so I should just need to be quiet and I am just here to work. But this is how it is. And so I never said anything and we just kind of progressed. I think things have changed a lot. Companies are a lot more stricter in terms of professionalizing the industry when before it wasn't as professionalized. I would say some of the issues that we face as women is just um, when you're the only one in the room, it's harder to get the buy-in. It's harder for them to, to think that maybe what you're saying is, um, is, is worth it because maybe they aren't as uh, open to listening from other voices that don't, don't look like what they're usually used to. And then also there's always the talk about uh, when women want to have children and how that takes a toll on your career. Um, just because you have to be out for a few months or for a year, depending on what country you're in. But at the end of the day, I think we're coming a long way in making things better. You know, Jamie and I both have daughters. She just turned two and mine's about to turn two. And um, I think we're better off than 10 years ago for the women who had to go through it with very little maternity leave, almost no help. Now companies are starting to put daycares. They're starting to have paternity leave. So, you know, we're, we're going in the right direction. Uh, but yes, women still face a lot of the typical, they steal your idea. They don't ever give you credit. It's true that men get um, management roles way before women do because we are judged differently. It's, has Jamie done this before versus did, does Jimmy have potential to do this role even though he's never shown that he's, he's done it. So there's still a lot of those unconscious biases and in, in ways that women are moving up in their careers. Um, but it's possible and I think we're all kind of just pushing the boundaries a little bit and it takes all of us to keep pushing them. Um, but yeah, I don't know if Jamie, you want to add on challenges. Yeah, what I'd like to say to a lot of what Marcel mentioned is it's not that those kind of um, feelings and biases and things that are going on is not just in the energy space. I mean, women feel that in all different sorts of, in the workplace. I mean, you can see it, you can go and you can read articles about it. It's not just energy. That's just, uh, we're trying to evolve as a, as a country, as, as a world and, and make it more of a, a place where women can feel included. And, and we see a big push from that all the way from government putting in, in place, you know, things for around paternity and maternity leaves. And, and we know how important that has become and, and we were evolving as, as a world to do that. But when it, an energy specific, I mean, what I'd like to kind of change it to is 
the positive things about really being a woman in the space because that's why Marcel and I connected so well. It's because we had had such amazing opportunities because honestly, we are women in energy because we are the minority at on the table because that is important. My sales career, the reason why it was so successful was because they remembered me and they re and I came in and they know and they knew who I was because I didn't look like the rest. And so what I, what what Marcel did as well in her role is is you you build a reputation around who you want to be and they they remember that. I can tell you a lot of conferences and events that we go to there's a lot of men. I get confused on who is who because they all look the same. They're all wearing suits. They all maybe have hair, maybe not. Sorry. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, as you get older, it seems like people bald quickly. But you know, it's like they all look the same, and it's very hard to be like, okay, who was that? Was that John, Tim, David? I can't remember who we worked for. But women, I know. I'm like, oh, look, there she is. I know her. There she is. Oh, look, you know, you you stand out. And so that just breeds a huge opportunity for us. I mean, you can come in and you can create who you want to be seen as and who you want to be known as. And when that happens, you get you get asked by the market to come and get you get amazing roles. I got multiple opportunities because they knew who Jamie was because it was like obvious when I was at places since it was all men and I was the only woman and all my sales teams. So I, I would like to just say like, there is a huge opportunity for that. And Maciel as well, the way she thrived in the field. I mean, think about that. Think about, you know, you being one of a hundred and you thriving in a space that no other person is in, in, your, in your age group or your minority group, you're gonna stand out. And I think that we need to look at that as an advantage standpoint and, and really trying to change the message and not say, you know, what challenges do women have, but like what challenges do we have that we can create into a really great positive way of looking at it and use that as an opportunity. And so I just like to kind of add that to it because although there are these things that, that we do face, I don't think that that is just in the energy space. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, since you brought the maternity and family, what, does, what are the challenges that you can face and how do you manage to balance between work and family? Yeah, so I wish I had a magic recipe. Um, one thing is, everyone is going to do things very differently. Everyone's going to have a different maternity leave. Everyone's going to have a different, even just pregnancy journey. Everyone just has everything different. So it's really hard to compare and look at other people and how they do it. Maybe take a few things that inspire you from different people and then make it your own. Cause everyone's literally going to have different things. One people will do daycare. Other people will have a live in nanny. Other people will have no help. And so, What's worked for me is I have help. My mom stays with me, which is, I know, rare, um, but she helps me. If my mom wasn't here, I wouldn't be able to be successful in my career because having a child takes up a lot of your time and energy. And uh, that's how I've been able to be successful is I can kind of delegate the motherhood task. Um, I think what's my biggest challenge of, you know, having a young daughter is that it's easy to forget get the work-life balance because I'm so consumed by not only flipping the barrel, but my full-time job and just everything else that's going on that you kind of put sometimes your child and your family on the back burner. And then sometimes you might put them on the front burner, but then your career is, is so it's always like a constant challenge. I will say the hardest thing for me now is when I have to travel for work, let's say. And I feel like when I come back, my daughter is a little bit more like, who are you? Not the who are you again, but like more connected to maybe my husband and my mom. 
than me and then I have to kind of rebuild the relationship with her to be like no no I'm here all the time so I think that's my biggest challenge as a mom is feeling the mom guilt of like she 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 doesn't care when I leave now or you know the that kind of thing yeah and I mean I mirror Maciel uh so my experience though with my daughter is a little bit different as we do Montessori um and my I don't have anybody that helps me at home per se my husband and I um we we divvy up the chores when when she's at the house uh and it's hard though because to Maciel's point you know we we have flipping the barrel and we have our day jobs flipping the barrel usually happens at night and so we always try to arrange time that is around like if my daughter's asleep or if Maciel has time and her daughter maybe is being cared for from her mom but both of both her and I have to manage that and and it's not easy um but everything that is hard always comes with some sort of sacrifice but also comes with the benefits so i would say that it's really helped our time management skills it's really helped us prioritize her and i have really decided like we're going to prioritize like what's most important and do those things first because you can't do it all and you can't always say yes So I'd say one of the biggest lessons that we've learned is we can't say yes to everything because it really what ends up happening is it overwhelms you and then you just feel stressed and then the things you're saying yes to don't aren't fun anymore because you're like I should have been with my daughter I wasn't with my husband um I'm now working you know 18 hours a day because I said yes to all these extra activities and so it's really prioritizing that time and as far as you know the the leaving part that Marcel mentioned I would say that's the hardest struggle and I really feel that it's only with women my husband leaves and he like it's like he does I feel like he doesn't even have that feeling and and it's just like oh you know see us see you later I'll come late you know um and I think that's and as much as we talk about mom guilt and as much as we wish we could erase it I think at the at the very core of who we are it's just not possible and I think everybody will always experience that but it's like how can you manage it and and what's best for you and so what I have found is when I leave I really like to keep it at minimum time span as possible in my mind I'll even say okay well I, I'll I'll take the flight really late at night so then I can at least put her to bed and then I'll leave and then I didn't miss that day but it's a lot of that in your mind of like how can I make it work and these periods are so short you know you feel like you were gone for 2 weeks when really it was like 4 days but you know it it it's just managing that and then managing the time when you get back to just make sure that you know you do spend time with your your children and then you have the weekend and you do spend time with them one one thing that advice that I've always was given is when you do leave come back with something and i know that seems you know everybody has a different opinion on that but i do recall growing up when my parents would leave they'd always come back and bring me something small and no matter what it was like a little stuffed animal candy from where they came and it kind of it, it excites them it's like okay well mommy's leaving but she's going to come back and maybe you know what is she going to bring me and then it it associates it associates it with a positive versus like always it being like oh mommy's leaving she's gone it's like mommy's leaving but when she comes back you know what what might she bring or what you know what is going to happen and so i think leaving your children to wonder some like that kind of helps a little bit but um they're really honestly there's there's no there's no real uh cure for for mom guilt and we we've, we've learned that on the podcast as well as the multiple stories that you're hear from all the women um and before we get off this topic the one thing i'll i'll leave everybody with on this is 
we have heard from those that um, are uh, their kids are now um, out of, out in school and and they're you know not little anymore that the things that the moms worried about the most when they were small like not teaching them to ride a bike or you know not going on the first picnic with them or little things like that that the mom felt like super guilty for as the child aged you know she went one of our guests went back to their their daughter and was like you know do you remember when Sally taught you how to ride your bike and the daughter was like mom i have no idea what you're talking about and so that whole time she felt this guilt of not teaching her daughter how to ride a bike and her daughter didn't even remember <laughs> so i think that some of that stuff is is kind of important to to just realize that some of the things that in the moment hurt you the most are not really not going to be as impactful on your child's life as, as maybe you, you think today okay great advice thank you <laughs> So uh, what, uh, what are the most important skills and uh, qualities for success in the energy sector? And how can uh, we, uh, you as professional, develop, it, develop them? Um, I would say it's, it's really important to be a people person because at the end of the day, any business is people. And so if you're good with people, you're good at understanding people, you're self-aware of how you are interacting and how people perceive you, that's super key. Um, something that isn't taught as well, but I think is crucial is networking. Uh, you never know who you're meeting. You never know what kind of first impression you're leaving. So really working on those skills of the elevator pitch, like they call it, it's crucial. Because you might be walking into the CEO, you know, walking by him in the hall or at who knows, he came to speak at, you know, at the university. So just always be prepared that you never know, because a lot of the stories that we've heard or even in our own journeys, it's always one or two key people that you need in your life that change the trajectory of your career, of your life, of a business that you start. And so it's crucial to just really know how to use those relationships. Um, and, and evolve and then of course be very good at your job and if you want to go into a specific career and go back to school and do a master's or a phd that's also very crucial it really depends on what realm you're going to fall in, in in the industry whether you want to be very technical you want to innovate you want to have a lot of uh, you know schooling behind you or you want to go more into uh, a sales role or uh, marketing which is a lot of you know people people skills so it really depends on which area you want to go to but networking i would say is the number one skill that you need mm -hmm. yeah um i would i would base honestly what Marcel said is exactly what i would i would uh, mirror her her exact answer uh networking communication skills you know we do hear and i i don't speak to a, a ton like one-on-one -on -one of of college students because we usually do like talks like this but you know i read a lot and they say like communication skills are getting more difficult because social media and the way people talk and and so i think what's important is to just ensure that it's great for you to be have this image on social media whatever it might be um perceived as but when you show up in person that's really gonna that's really gonna depend um on on your career on like who you become in your career you can be, be perceived as one thing online um but if you if you if you don't act that way in person, you can't communicate, you can't talk, you can't ask for what you want um, in person, then I think that you, 
you're going to struggle. And so it's really important to just have those skills. Um, and uh, and even if they if they have the opportunity at the university that you're at, get into a presentation course, a course where, where you go in front of people and you present. I think that that's a really important skill. And no matter what happens with technology, I really don't think it's ever going to go away. You're always going to have to present your ideas. And if you can do that and articulate, then you're going to be successful. Okay, so it's more of uh, soft skills than the other technical ones. Unless, to that point, I mean, if you're going to be an engineer and they, you know, then technically, yes, you need to be technically sound. But I will tell you, if you have a, if you're technically sound and you're an engineer and you can communicate, oh my God, the world is your oyster. <laughs> that is like the two most amazing things. Because in today's world, you usually have like the talker, like a me, and then you've got your tech person around with you because I wouldn't know the depth of that person's knowledge. But if yeah. you have both, oh my gosh, you're like a force to be reckoned with. Okay, we'll work on that, I think. <laughs> yeah. So the next question is, um, uh, we would like to hear from you two success stories of women who have succeeded in the energy industry and what contributed uh, to their success. So um, we picked uh, as one of our top two, and uh, you should go listen to her episode. It's linked on www.flippingtheworld.com. Her name is Regina Jones. She's the chief legal officer of Baker Hughes. And her story is just fantastic of just the amount of challenges that were thrown at this lady from from like early career to now being a C-level executive in a big, you know, Fortune 500 company, not only as a female, but as an African-American, uh, you know, which is, you know, very small percentages of black women make it to C-level. So the fact that not only in energy, but with all of the challenges that she faced early on, it was just so inspiring for us to hear. Um, early on, you know, she had a brain tumor right at the beginning of her degree uh, when she was studying law. And then uh, she just faced many issues along the way from having children to a miscarriage to just premature babies. I mean, anything that you can think that would break somebody, not only personally, but you would just give up on your career because you have so much going on at home that you need to handle. The fact that she just elevated her career and climbed the corporate ladder is she's incredible. And I would say that she says a lot of what she owes this to is a person, you know, perseverance, never giving up, uh, taking challenge by challenge, turning it into positive mindset of, okay, I have a brain tumor, but this means that now I have more time to do X and so you kind of it's how you look at things in life and her partner which is her husband who they've been together for you know 30 plus years since she started her career you all of us need someone whether it's a spouse a friend a parent somebody that is there that goes through all of it with you the ups and downs and she said that she owes a lot of her success to him and so that would be our first one and then Jamie if you want to mention our second uh, yeah, so um, we've had her speak at multiple events because she's just so phenomenal. And what she has overcome and did was just, I, I can't even explain. So you have got to go listen to Kim McHugh. She is the head of joining completions um, for Chevron. And she has dual career. Her husband works for Chevron as well, and he's very successful. He actually reports to her at Chevron, which is a very interesting dynamic. They have three kids. Um, she traveled the world 
at one point she gave up her career to follow her husband. Um, I think, I believe it was like in Singapore or, or somewhere in that region. And for seven years, she put her career on the back burner where she um, only worked like four hours a day as a contractor while her husband's career thrived and she took care of the kids. To then find herself back in Houston where she got the opportunity to take this role with Chevron. And what was really, really incredible about what she did is, and we talk about this a lot when it comes to women in roles, is that when she was offered the role for DNC, um, joint completions for all of Chevron, she turned it down uh, because they had told her that you need to be there at 6 a.m. You have 6 a.m. phone calls. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm not gonna do that. I dropped my kids off in the morning. So thank you, but no thank you. And she said, no. Um, they came back three months later and we're like, Kim, you know, we have a job for you. And she's like, okay, what's the job now? And they're like, well, it's the joint completions for all of Chevron. And she's like, I told you, like, I'm not going to do that. And they said, well, Kim, we want you to come and we want you to do it your way. And so what was really important about that was the change that Chevron made to be like, you know what, we're going to be inclusive. We're not going to make you do what your predecessor did. You're going to come in and we want you to take the role on how you want to take on the role. And we want you to give you the opportunity. And she's been one of those really amazing success stories um, about overcoming many challenges, having a child late in life too, um, and having three children, dual career. And she didn't do nannies uh, for the beginning. She had like daycare and she talks about how she juggled it. And she talks about mom guilt. I mean, she is your ultimate resource um, is, is Kimmy Q's podcast and um, all the events that we have had her at. So highly recommend that one as well. Such an inspiring story. Yeah, we will definitely check it after. Um, so now let's uh, see if we have any question from the audience, maybe. So the question is how you faced any discrimination or bias in your academic or professional career as a woman in the industry? Okay, um, I can. So I would say when I left the field and I went into a sales role, um, because of just how maybe some females had done sales in West Texas, which is a specific area in the US, um, I was labeled maybe as a female that was gonna sell the same way. And so when I would show up to visit customers, I think there was a lot of bias. Of, of course, they put this girl as sales because she's cute and she's gonna get me to buy her things. And when in reality, no one saw that I worked for five and a half years in the field, that I'm an engineer. There's a lot of, um, I think, just people didn't see that, like all of the hard work that I've done. They just saw, oh, here's this cute little face that's gonna come sell me some stuff. And so there was a little bit of that, like I find like a little bit of, um, just, it didn't feel good as a professional to be labeled like that or to feel like all of the things that I've done were really just no one would see it. They would just see something else. Um, and how I handled it was just being super professional. And when you know what you're talking about and you could talk in the same terms as them technology wise with math and science, with the right formulas, with you prove them that you're smart and that um, they might think that you're not just because of how you look or because you're a girl or whatever and you just prove them wrong and so that's probably the thing that I love to do the most is I'm very people underestimate me a lot until I can prove them wrong with just the knowledge that I bring and so I would say that's probably one of the biggest uh, adjustments that I had to do in my career was after I left the field. 
Yeah, and I'll, I'll give an example of this too through my career. There was a time where I went and met with um, one of the managers at an ENP company to sell him some downhole drilling tools. And I came in with uh, papers because I had spec sheets. I wasn't going to read off of them. I just had them to give to him. I sat down in the room and he grabbed them from me immediately. And I was like, like very like, uh, like irrationally, like just like grabbed them as I sat down. I, I was like, okay. I was like, well, hi, you know, hi, I'm Jamie. Um, and nice to meet you. Just grabbed everything from my hands. And uh, he was like, so tell me what are, what, what's the specs for the drilling motor? And I just started like writing everything off. I didn't have the papers cause I wanted to read off of them. I had them because I was going to give them to him in, at the end. And I will tell you that he challenged me with so many questions, but I came in prepared and uh, I gained respect from him and sold the job. Because the thing is, is that to Maciel's point, you do get underestimated. But in my experience, when you show that you have the knowledge you deserve to be there, they respect you 20 times more than any guy who walks into that door. Um, and I had found that throughout my experience. Now there will be caveats to this, so will be times where they just won't. Um, but I will say that uh, the biggest challenge, but you can use it, like I said, as a positive is the underestimation. If you come in knowing, or at least you might not know, but you always can find the answer. Um, they respect you and they know that you're the go-to person. Hey, she might not know today, but I know she's gonna get me that answer in a few hours. And when she does, it'll be the right one. And as long as they can trust you, you build tremendous relationships. And so um, I do think that you, we still have that today, the underestimation piece. Um, but I, I do think that uh, we're overcoming that a lot and women are doing a really great job of, of showing up and companies are preparing us for that. So, I, I, but that that would be the only, it's not really discrimination, it's more just like, they challenge you a little bit more. Okay, uh, just one small question. Uh, are you still facing these challenges like uh, in the past years or it's uh, like really at the beginning of the, your career? I think it's always going to be a little bit of that um, until we educate the masses right but i think right now it's still very male dominated and so women unfortunately you have to prove yourself way more than a guy in a rule and so i think we still face that also because we're young that's also something you're going to face even as a male just younger seniority are you really do you really know what you're talking about da, da, da. they're going to challenge you the same way and so i would say we still face that um but you could quickly turn it around once you start proving yourself that you know what you're talking about or that you and deserve to be there. You know, you were hired correctly for that role. Yeah. I think it depends, on, it depends on what company because in oil and gas, we do have EMP, we do have private equity, we do have small companies. You're never gonna change your mindset. They really don't have to. Um, they do well, they have their 10 people and that's what they do. Um, but then you've got your big IOCs and stuff and, and they're, you're not gonna see this near as much there. And when you're selling or working with them as a service provider or working as them with engineering, they have a bunch of resource groups. They have things around that. You're not gonna see it as much as you would have a few years ago when Masa and I first really started in the industry and there wasn't as much um, focus on it. Okay, so unfortunately it's like uh, basically the same. We, we are still in the same stigmatics. So. Yeah. <laughs> For the next question is, how do you envision the future of engineering and what contribution do you hope to make to the industry as a female engineer? I think um, just with the energy transition uh, and just a more balanced planet, which at the end of the day, we all want, there's going to be a lot of contributions made on new technologies. 
And so if you're studying engineering, definitely go into anything that has to do with sustainability, carbon capture, geothermal, all of those new energies and just helping the planet. That's where all of these companies, both service and operators are going to be focusing on. And that's where they're going to be hiring a lot of because we need innovation. We can't keep doing what we've been doing for the last hundred years in the industry. And so that's what I envision. A lot of that, a lot of AI, a lot of, you know, just things that we probably don't even imagine that are going to be doing self-driven um, trucks to location. There's already the rig of the future where there's no personnel on location, just drilling oil wells. I think that's really where the future is headed. Unfortunately, is cutting people uh, because it is safer because it's a very you know unsafe environment at times. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. So really removing and adding safety to the equation. So anything working on robotics, there's just so much of a future of engineering uh, that's still left to innovate. Um, what we would like to contribute, you know, as females in our industry, I think what Jamie and I have decided to focus on is just showcasing those careers, showcasing that you are part, that you can be part of this amazing uh, career and amazing industry. And that's kind of the legacy we, we want to leave behind is just making sure there's a, a seat for everybody at the table. And to that point what Marcel was making on innovation, it's also innovating like this artificial lift and all of the things that are in our daily production and completions that we do today, as well as drilling. We need your mind, we need your engineering mind to come in and look at what we've done for decades and be like, there's a better way and there's a cleaner way and the and what we're doing today. And I think some of that starts with what Marcel was saying is, you know, we really want to showcase the opportunities that you can have in this industry. And we're going to be adding some of that to what Flipping the Barrel is doing um, on a job board, which we'd love to get y'all's input on once we have it. But to that point, there'll be opportunities on there for you to work in the field. And although you might be thinking, well, that's not energy transition, it's the field. That is where it's all going to start. We need you in those roles. We need you to understand at the basis level what's going on at the field and use your engineering expertise to come back and be like, hey, you're doing this and you can do it way quicker, way cleaner. I have this idea. I mean, there's so many ways to innovate and companies are really, really wanting that. They want you to come in and, and give your advice so that you can have an impact on what we're doing today. Have that be traditional oil and gas or have that be the energy space, uh, energy uh, transition space. Um, we, we need your mind and we need you to come in and, and give us um, new ideas. Okay, so I guess we have someone who raised hands. Uh, Noor? Hey, good afternoon. Can you hear me and see me? Yes. Hi. Hi. Um, so it's Noor. I'm from Lebanon. I'm also a part on the board of the SPE student chapter. So my question is to you, Maciel. Okay, so uh, it's more related to maternity. I have two points to discuss, but I'm going to first go to the maternity part. So you said that um, uh, sometimes when you used to go travel and uh, sometimes when you used to go back, your daughter didn't rec recognize you sometimes kind of. So did you feel guilty at that point? I mean, did you sometimes think that you must have spent more time with your, uh, with your daughter and how did you uh, deal with that? Yes, very good point. Um, so I'll start with my maternity leave. In the US, at least for the company that I work for, we had six months of maternity leave. I decided to only take three months off. 
And so mm-hmm. I wanted to come back to work earlier. I'm just very driven like that. And I remember everyone telling me, you're going to regret it. Stay, they grow up so fast. You're never going to have those moments back. But I didn't want to listen. I was like, no, no, I need to go back to work. I need to work on my career. And looking back, yeah, I do wish I stayed a little bit longer at home because you close your eyes and they're grown-ups. Like, it's scary. And so I... I think it is important that, yeah, you, sh- you should be ambitious in your career, but maybe you could, you, like, sometimes you think that because you take three more months off, it's gonna change your entire career, and it's not. Sometimes, like Jim, Jamie mentioned uh, with Kim McHugh, she took seven years off. We've had people on the podcast that took one year break, two years break, and guess what? They're still CEO, they're still VPs, they still made it very high in their careers. So I think it's important to think Maybe in this moment right now, I should focus on being a mom because at the end of the day, it's not going to change anything in the moment you think it is. And so I think that's one point. And then now as she's getting older, and like I said, on the last trip, she was a little bit like, you know, you left for a week or whatever. I've spoken to a lot of people that had moms that were very focused on their careers and they grew up thinking so highly of their moms. Like, wow, my mom works so hard. My mom's climbing in her career. And they look up to you as just, wow, they travel for work. I want to be just like my mom. And so sometimes I think it's hard now that they're young where they don't express that. But I've heard a lot of positive things from people who've had very, you know, busy moms. And they say, no, no, you think it's negative, but they look up so much to you versus, you know, just staying home all day. And so that's what I'm hoping it's going to be is that I'm going to instill that in my daughter. She sees that make you know, being busy in my career makes me very happy. And she sees a happy mom. And I think at the end of the day, that's what I want to pass down to her. And I think that's what kids look for. Uh, That's what Jamie mentioned with like, you create them part of your career. Mommy's going on a business trip. Wow, mommy's going to be doing X. You kind of incorporate your kids into your career so that they think it's positive versus, oh, my mom's not here. She's a bad mom. So it's really up to you to, you know, change the the storytelling um, because they'll believe anything you tell them. (laughs) <laughs> okay so um i just had one other thing to say okay so we're really enjoying the talk and uh, i don't know if you've heard about it but we as the spifp school student chapter have already initiated a podcast and uh, as a part of diversity and inclusion we already had a session uh that's dedicated to women's day uh, so uh, I'll ask Wissam to put the link here so that you can review yeah. that. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, we really liked, liked your answers. So we just thought about like having your answers in our podcast. So we will be like promoting your podcast and having your answers in our podcast, if you don't mind. So uh, love it. Yeah, yes, of course. Please yeah. 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 Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I had one last question, and then maybe we could end the, the event. Uh, we spoke of quotas earlier, so what's your opinion on them? And do you think quotas actually have an impact on diversifying the workplace and make, making it more inclusive? Yeah, so my my opinion on the quota piece is, and Marcel kind of pointed this out when we were talking about it earlier, was the quotas are good for meeting numbers. So if we're just looking at numbers, quotas quotas really do help with that. They give opportunity to maybe 
They make people think more about who they're hiring versus just hiring a safe bet. A safe bet would be somebody who looks and done the role before, looks similar. Um, hiring somebody completely different is a little bit more worrisome for companies. And so sometimes a quota is needed in order to push them and to make them feel like it's okay. Like, let's try things new. Like, let's pick new people. Let's pick new universities. Let's all of that. Um, but what it doesn't do, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, is it doesn't, it doesn't bring an inclusive environment. Just because you hire women or you hire minorities or you hire younger people, whatever it might be, it doesn't mean that ultimately your your culture just changes with it. That really happens from the inside. So you have to also instill in the management that you have that they are pushing down the values of the company to create that environment. And that is where we are really at today in the energy space because a lot of people are meeting their quotas. They're meeting the diversity number that they might have set, but they're not meeting inclusivity where people are staying. And so that is, that's one thing that we really try to drive on the podcast and all of the initiatives that we do with flipping the barrel with our events and everything is to bring to the forefront the issues that are making people leave and not feel included. And so we really want to change that narrative and really make companies think about the inclusion part and making them feel a part of the of what they're doing versus um, not and feeling excluded from events, et cetera, that the company puts on. And I wanted to add one thing on quotas is that at the end of the day, it's a business. It's not a charity. And so nobody is hiring somebody that they really think cannot do the job. It's not like, for example, they're going to pick a vice president of a billion dollar company, let's say, and they're going to say, quota, we just need a girl. We're going to put her there. No, nobody's going to take that risk of like that billion dollar business. Sure, they're going to look at a maybe more diverse team, but at the end of the day, they're going to pick someone that they really think can do the job. And so, the, the negative connotation on the quotas is sometimes we think people are getting jobs just because they're a female, yeah. but it's not because they don't think that they're good enough to do that job. Mm-hmm. It's a business. They're not going to put some girl that has no idea what she's doing and is incapable. Nobody's going to take that risk. We're all on the stock market. We all make need to make money. And so I think it's just a different way of looking at it. And quotas, I think, are very important early on in that bringing in women but then at the end of the day, it's to you to deliver. For the last 10 years, I just haven't been a quota and like I'm just getting jobs because I'm a girl. It's because I have to deliver on every job that I do and do very well at it and deserve the promotion. But do I think maybe 10 years ago when they were trying to bring more women into the industry, I might have just been a number? Maybe. But I think it's important because maybe they would have never hired me. And so yes. it's really just like a two-way street of looking at quotas. Um, and yeah. Okay, so I guess we have one last question, if you don't mind. Um, hi. Hi. Uh, so my name is Abdullah. I'm in the IFP board here at IFP School. Uh, so first of all, I'd like to thank you all for, for, for coming today. I think it's been a really great session and I want to tell you that, uh, first of all, you have a lot of impact because I did my undergrad in South Asia, in Malaysia. And I remember my classmates were female be like, hey, do you know this girl? You know, and then they would show me your pictures and be like, oh, do you follow their podcast? Do you follow what you do? And I, I think it's it's good to send some positive vibes to know that you guys, what you're doing also, it's reaching a large impact, not only in the US, because sometimes when you're in the US, you just think that in the US bubble, but yeah. just know that uh, it's going very far and it's having a large impact. And myself, uh, one of my mentors is Mervin Azeta. I'm sure you know her. Uh, oh, she's yeah. a uh, so I interact with her a lot. So I had um, a question which are kind of interlinked and one other question. 
So here at IFP, we are also seeing uh, in the student chapter itself, we're seeing that we have uh, a decreasing number of, of engagements. It's really hard to bring people uh, to come to events, either virtually or or physically. And uh, also, you know, the energy transition in Europe, you know, how people view us, like, especially in Europe, in the US, it's a bit more diluted. But in Europe, we, we walk on the street, you see a petroleum engineer and, you know, everything just changes. And some questions that I used to ask myself, um, oil and gas is going to be there in the next 30, 40 years. So how are you going to address um, the, the talent gap, you know, which I think is going to be there. And if there's a talent gap generally, uh, I think it might be accentuated in the for women also, you know, because if we have less people want to go to the workforce, we'll have less people going in the workforce while in the industry, we know that we still need oil and gas. Uh, so just I just wanted to project the experience you have in the chapter and on a global level and uh, see what you guys think. That's my first question. And my second question, how did you guys jump in from the idea of a podcast to the implementation stage? And uh, it's more technical, like uh, how did you grow up? How did you, what was your process? Did you just like, okay, I'm going to post on Spotify and let's see what, what happens. Or did you think of a process as an engineer? You know, did you think of the gates before you, you started it off? So, yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, um, I think we'll start the questions backwards because that's just yeah. the easiest one. Podcast just did it. We didn't yeah. think too much into it. We never looked at our numbers as well. I think it's very easy to fall into this episode didn't do well. We didn't have followers. No one's going to our website. We didn't look at that for the first maybe three years. Like it's only recent now that we're like, oh, okay, now we're looking into the data. But don't, we never did it because we wanted followers, because we wanted, we were just passionate about it and we decided to start it, whether we were going to reach one person that we were going to change, you know, inspire one person or thousands. And so I think that's why it's been successful. It's just because we're, it's genuine and it's really like our passion and what we wanted to do. And so all we did, truthfully, we went on YouTube and we Googled like how to start a podcast. Gary V, which I'm sure a lot of you know, had a segment on how to start a podcast. And we followed it. We ordered what he showed as like the best little Zoom recorder, a mic, headphones, literally like not a lot of money. It doesn't take a lot. We went on Amazon and we bought it and we just started. I interviewed Jamie, Jamie interviewed me. We started with what we had. We didn't do very well at the beginning in terms of even how do we post? How do we do a website? We just kind of learned as it went. And uh, so I, 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 we always tell people, if you want to try something, don't think too much into it. Sometimes as engineers, you're like, ooh, this is gonna be this and da 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 da. And we get so analytical that it blocks us from acting because the data isn't good enough and we don't have enough information for this, you know, just try it out. It's not the end of the world if it doesn't work out. And so just test things out. It would be our advice. And to add to that, to like being so critical of yourself too, you really gotta let go of that because you will never post something if you are like there's times where we post stuff and like the audio maybe wasn't exactly how we wanted it but it was a really good episode so we just went with it anyways or even sometimes when we post clips and you'll see it on our instagram and everything like we probably don't look the best in that clip but we don't care like it's not about we don't we just we let all of that go we don't we try not to be critical of ourselves because we're really everything that we do is a learning experience and it's not always going to be perfect and so if you go in not like searching for perfection i think you won't be so let down if maybe you know it didn't come out exactly how you wanted it but you still are doing it it's the process of doing it and as you continue you'll get better and better and better and things will change but you've got to start um and then on your on your first question you know that one's very important to Marcel and i 
as the whole reason behind the podcast, as we said, was to shine a light on the industry. And, you know, and what's difficult about that is to get that person on the street that doesn't like petroleum engineers to, to listen. But the best, what we can do is just educate. And in order to, to not have this gap that you were discussing is really to, is the education piece. And so one thing that we started was fun Fun Frack Friday, which every Friday we post an educational piece on what oil and gas does and how it's helped the world. Have that be through the computers that it creates, have that be the medical devices, you know, have, have that be, you know, just the money that the oil and gas industry brings to each economy. It's all about educating. And what we're also trying to do is educate companies to educate. So like what I've seen more in North America is there's actual um, like commercials now on like Shell showing we power the world. It's all about how we create that messaging to get people to understand what we're doing and not feel so negative about it. Because in the past, we never had that. And that's why all these all these individuals don't understand what we do. And so we're really, really far behind on this. But it's something that we are definitely aware of and the industry is aware of. And so we're really, really hoping um, to fix it, uh, you know, as soon as we can. But it might miss a generation and then it'll it'll eventually I think it'll eventually pick back up. But getting feedback like what you said is really important to us, to Marcel and I. So. You know, if anybody in the chapter has feedback, we'd love for y'all to email us because we're very interested in this topic and how we can grow, you know, the the overall positive message of the industry. So um, our email is flippingthebarrel at gmail.com. So please, please reach out, let us know, give us tips on what you think or what you're facing. And we'd love to help you through whatever um, challenges that y'all have. Yes, Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. But it was really great uh, being here and feel free to email us at any time. Um, Jamie and I are both very accessible and thank you for the invite again. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. So that's the end of the conversation that we had with Marcel Diaz and Jamie Elrod from Flipping the Barrel. I hope you enjoyed the episode and as the ladies mentioned, you can reach them out by mail and you can also listen to their podcast, which is Flipping the Barrel, which is pretty amazing. Here at IFP School, we recommend it. Thank you once again for joining us on this episode. And remember that if you want to be part of our podcast, just reach us out in our social networks. You can find us as IFP School SP Student Chapter on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thank you very much, and see you in the next episode. Goodbye.